So tonight's talk is called Honoring the Courage Within. It takes immense courage to walk this path of awakening, which always seems uh, somewhat contradictory. Because when we come to practice, sometimes coming to a retreat and you tell someone you're going on retreat and they think you're going on a holiday, that you'll have a bit of a vacation and you know that you'll come back really so peaceful that you'll have sat so calmly for days on end. And yet we all know that when we come here and practice, or at any time in our lives, when we really look within, that often it's very, very challenging. And, you know, it can be distressing, um, We find that all kinds of gnarly bits surface as we sit, things that we may have not wanted to see. And the practice will often take us face to face with what we may have in our lives felt was unacceptable that we see what gets fragmented, what gets pushed away, what, you know, what's there that ah, we've been avoiding, denying, suppressing. And so you know, many times in our life, what's denied, avoided, suppressed, just that act of avoidance drives our lives in certain directions. And it keeps us from feeling whole. It keeps us from really opening our hearts. That there, we live a life that is compartmentalized. And yet, as we practice, as we look, we begin to see that there's a lot of mistaken ideas, perceptions, that we're holding a lot of views that simply aren't true, that are false, that are misperceptions. You know, that we get spooked by our own shadow in life. And yet to really turn and face this takes great courageousness. It takes uh, a willingness to explore this terrain. It takes strong motivation. We do find that as we practice, we gain a stability of awareness that helps us to venture into this terrain that helps us to stand steady in the face of challenges. Tonight I wanted to speak about the way that motivation helps us to also stand steady, that helps to support a sustaining interest that engages the heart. For each of us here, we have already some motivation or we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have set aside 
this chunk of time to come and practice in this way, to really be letting go of many of the pleasures of life, the pleasures we get through sensual experience. Uh, we w- wouldn't be, you know, taking space or distance from those who are dear to us, those whom we love. But because for each of us, we have something that's motivating us, something that's compelling us to do this work, we have come. For some of us, it may have come out of being in touch with suffering. Whether the suffering is simply an uneasiness in our lives or an uneasiness that really comes forth when we face difficulties or maybe have challenges where life doesn't meet our expectations and we see that we're not so happy here, that that there's pain. Um, it may be that in our lives we've had a sense of lack as if something is missing or just a subtle dissatisfaction. And so we become motivated to look within. We live in a time when there's really a lot of people whom are very disheartened. We live in quite a troubled time where, you know, the planet is in danger, where uh, terrorism is becoming more prevalent, where wars are raging, where there's really a sense of danger in the outer world many times. And we see people acting in violent ways. We see anger being expressed. We see people not having a sense of purpose in their lives. One could look at it from a place of feeling depressed by it. It is saddening to see it. You know, I think it's quite natural to look at many of the events in the world today and feel sadness. But it can also really compel one to look deeper. The Buddha talked about how suffering is the proximate cause for the arising of faith. And really, you know, when we have moments where suffering touches our life in its immediacy or just watching the news, um, hearing of events in the world, when we really let that impact our being, we can see how faith arises in these moments. You know, how in those moments when we're truly touched by the cries of the world, the pain, the distress of the world, and we're not holding on to a personalization of dukkha, where we're not moving into blame, where we're not separating, but really staying present. 
In those moments, we find great humility. We find an openness of heart. We find an availability that isn't there when we think we know, when we're bound by concepts, ideas in the mind, or when we're battling to be in control. There's a real readiness, ripeness that's there. And when we're really in touch with suffering, there can come this very strong movement of the heart to alleviate the pain, the distress. And it's very authentic. It's not contrived. It's just, it's that courageousness of heart within that's there when we really listen. And sometimes it is, you know, that we need to be hit over the head through suffering before we really wake up to that. Because we can get, you know, lulled into complacency. We can get just, you know, kind of cruising through life and and really veering towards the pleasant, even though it's not sustainable. But that keeps us protected from really knowing the depths of suffering, really hearing the cries of the world. And so, in these moments, we feel this urge, this aspiration, this movement of the heart to engage with life in a wholesome way, to know what is possible as a human being. And we seek to embody the most that is possible. we find within us an aspiration to awaken. You know, sometimes we may not think of it in, in those terms for ourselves, but really in order to live wisely, to be kind, to be compassionate, there needs to be wisdom. There needs to be clear seeing. Or we will only be acting out of confusion we will only be repeating habituated patterns. There won't be true kindness, true compassion. This motivation plays an important role Because it is what gets us here. And it is also what helps to sustain our practice, to keep us going, and gives us support when we start start to flounder. It's very worthwhile to be in touch with motivation whether we have a language that we put it in, words that we put it in, whether it's a felt sense, a way of turning the mind towards 
a sense of wholeness, unity, wisdom. I know for many years in my own practice, it was really a felt sense. There wasn't so much words that seemed to express it. Until I heard uh, the teachings on bodhicitta, which bodhi and citta means the awakened heart-mind. And the aspiration of bodhicitta is to awaken for the benefit of all beings. And I know in my own practice, initially I had the sense of, this hurts, I want out. You know, there was just an immediacy of suffering, my own suffering. But through practice, there was really coming to see the interconnectedness of life and the truth of that. And then out of that, there was seeing that, that my practice was really not only for my own benefit, but could help benefit others. And that the more awake, alert, alive I am in my own life, the more helpful that is to the whole. And then there came a strengthening of motivation because it was a sense of offering, a sense of this is what I can do with my life. This is what I can offer, even if it's sitting here silently, looking into the roots of suffering. This is my offering. It helped to give me, bring a, bring a lot more energy into my practice. We find that with bodhicitta, on the relative level, we work with honoring our interconnectedness. We work with developing compassion, kindness, care, gentleness. This is supported by wisdom or clear seeing that sees that there is this interconnectedness and then the gentleness comes naturally. It's not forced or contrived. On the ultimate level of bodhicitta, it is the empty, aware nature of mind itself, the mind that is not tainted by greed, hatred, and delusion. It's the absence of self-centeredness. And this aspiration of bodhicitta really helps us to let go of self-cherishing tendencies. Tendencies that can certainly creep in if we practice to become something, if we practice to become enlightened, if we practice to enhance oneself. 
one's sense of self, if it's self-referencing. But when we take to heart practicing to awaken, to be of benefit for all beings, it can help to take the self out of it. It can help to broaden the aspiration. The desire to give this talk tonight was actually tied very much in with an experience I had this week where I was sitting and I suddenly remembered this bodhicitta, this aspiration to awaken for the benefit of all beings. And it is something in my own life that on a daily basis I verbally say, sometimes once, sometimes many times in a day. I use it as a means of collecting energy, of becoming present, of sitting in the seat of this moment. And even though I do this on a daily basis, I suddenly found myself questioning whether I was really authentically living from this place. And it felt in that moment very confronting. And it was just, it was so interesting to see what the mind did. You know, because there can be, aspiration is something that can, held unskillfully, turn us into striving, into wanting, into becoming. And, you know, one could have have this come to mind and think, oh, yeah, I have to sit for many months, many years. Or, you know, I have to go out in the world and do compassionate action that we find, you know, something really big that we have to do. And, you know, that's not holding it skillfully. And in my own life, I've seen that over and over that, you know, we can wake up anywhere, anytime these moments that we all have in different experiences in life. But this, the, actually there, there's a, this is veering a little bit, let's hope it doesn't jump too much. There's a, a definition of aspiration that I quite like and I think is helpful. Um, it's likened to driving a strong stake deep into the ground and using it to chain an elephant And no matter how far the elephant goes, he does not move away from the radius created by the stake and the chain. And so this is like a skillful use of aspiration where our life doesn't veer very far from it, but it's it's like setting the direction for where we go. It's setting the direction for meeting this moment. It's setting the direction for sitting in the seat of the present moment. 
I just found by really, you know, questioning in my own mind, just doing that brought up a tremendous amount of energy. Even though there was a sense of fear, can I really do this? Can I really be that authentic in life? There was, what does it mean? What does it mean to really live from this place? And knowing that, you know, that can't be figured out. You know, that one has to really hold that in a way and let it be a guiding light in one's life. And I'd like to share, actually, a few verses from someone who wrote a book. His name's Kunu Rinpoche. He wrote a book, or it was put into book form, some verses he wrote about bodhicitta. And, you know, it's a beautiful little book. And it said that it, bodhicitta was the guiding light in his life. And I, the whole book is just these little gems uh, around bodhicitta. And so this is really pointing to uh, kind of the power of bodhicitta and how helpful it can be when we're struggling. The book is called Vast as the Heavens, Deep as the Sea. It seems to be one of the dimensions of bodhicitta that the hardships of heat and cold, hunger and thirst, and so forth, that come when one does something to help others, do not get one down, but rather give one's spirit a boost. He says, Remember bodhicitta when you are scared. Remember bodhicitta when you suffer. Remember bodhicitta when you feel joy. Remember bodhicitta when your courage begins to wane. Remember bodhicitta when you slack off from doing things for others. Remember bodhicitta when you become lazy. Remember bodhicitta when you feel run down. it can really give us inspiration that is bigger than oneself. to remember bodhicitta, to remember our motivation, our aspiration, can really help us to make wise choices because we're never veering far from the stake. There's a context. There's a context for the pain, the suffering that we meet. There's a context for the fear that we encounter. It helps us to touch into that nobility of heart that is within us, that courageousness of heart.
but we do need to watch that it doesn't send us into further becoming, into further wanting, into needing something else in order to be. Because when we do this, our trust is being eroded. The sense of trying to force or control. We find that actually expectations are often mistaken for aspirations. And, you know, as we get in touch with our aspirations, there is a natural way in which they become purified. They become seen more clearly. Hoganson, my Zen master, often used to talk about uncovering our deepest vows. And this happens as we see clearly. Understanding deepens. The confusion gets dispelled. But if our aspirations are held in the way of, you know, much like a carrot in front of your nose, you know, chasing after enlightenment, wanting to become, this brings in striving, this brings in tension, this brings in greed. We'll find it's very painful and binding. So we need to hold aspirations in a way that they direct us back to the moment and help us to have interest and be with what is. We are present to the unfolding of our karma. I came up with a new definition of karma today. Uh, Karma is the personalized package of wake-up pills tailor-made for one's own tendencies. Our aspirations can help us to utilize this moment, what is happening now, what is unfolding. And this is unfolding according to natural laws. And by seeing the nature of what is unfolding, not personalizing, not identifying, but seeing it in its nature, This is where we can wake up. We really have to let go of our ideas of how things should unfold, what the journey will look like. The Buddha was brilliant in mapping out the mind, laying out you know, Noble Eightfold Path. You know, we can really get a picture of what needs to happen in one sense. But he wasn't laying it out 
to give more ideas, but as tools to work with, to see for ourselves. And our ideas and concepts will only bind us. You know, we can have such strong ideas of what should be happening that we fail to notice what is happening, what is the truth in this moment. I'd like to share a short poem from Sagio, who was a 12th century poet monk. The mind for truth begins like a stream, shallow at first, but then adds more and more depth while gaining greater clarity. Discovering the truth by sitting in this moment. It seems shallow at first, but gains more depth. There's quite an interesting play that happens between aspiration and, a, and wisdom because we do find that the more we practice, the more we see clearly, the stronger the motivation is to awaken because of the seeing for ourselves of the interconnectedness. And the more we see that we don't need to suffer, there's a natural pull to help those whom are caught the courageousness of heart that is needed comes into play because in many ways we are stepping out of the cultural norm. We're stepping out of the stream of habit of mind. Habits that have been around for a long time. Habits that it's, you know, in one sense, easier to go with than to wake up from because they have so much momentum. They have such force behind them. It takes incredible courageousness to turn and face this force. In my own life, there was a time when I was quite young and I felt like I came in contact with my own two heavenly messengers. Um, at this time, I think I was, I was about 16 in high school and was becoming very disillusioned with the world. So I just saw there, well, you know, I think as happens to many teenagers, that there was just 
a darkness in the world. And, you know, it felt like the momentum that was behind me the, or the direction that was being pointing, pointed to towards others for me to follow felt so disconnected from my heart. And um, I, I was just really distressed about this. And so rather than going to school, I started going and sitting by a river. And I went there for many days on end. And each day that I went, there was this man and this woman that were there. And this man was an old man, and he would come with a bag of breadcrumbs that he would feed to the birds. And he would just sit on this bench and throw these breadcrumbs into the, the river, and you know, birds would come and eat. And the woman was this older woman, you know, tattered clothing. She had this little bag that she would walk along and she would pick up all of the treasures that other people had thrown away. And as I was sitting there one day and just feeling like the weight of the world was on my shoulders, I looked at these two people and they were what I perceived, and it certainly was only my perception, as peaceful. You know, I'd observed them day after day, and they had this peace and calmness about them. And I looked at them and I thought, well, if that's the worst that can happen to me, what do I have to lose? And I made some radical decisions from then. You know, it just encouraged me to follow my heart, to follow what felt true. I tormented my mother for years after by uh, saying to her when you know, she was always worried about what would become of me. And then I, I'd say, well, I can always become a bag lady. <laughs> she never understood what I meant by that. <laughs> but it can be scary to step out of the way that life is habitually pushing us. And it's a step into the unknown. And a level of fear. I know I had also in my life a strong fear of failure. You know, and so many times not doing something in case I couldn't. And being bound by that fear. fear of failure that I certainly had to um, face when I started giving Dharma talks, you know, from having been a child that would never even raise her hand in class to suddenly sitting in front of a room full of people. And working with fear, finding fearlessness, is not through, you know, never having fear, but not being stopped by fear. By having that, you know, it's like finding that way to be true to our hearts and having the courage to be there. I loved the story that I heard about Pema Chodron. Probably most of you know who she is, a, a, a wonderful Tibetan 
teacher. Her husband once said of of her that she was one of the bravest people that he knew. And I don't know if it was her who asked or that somebody asked why. And he said, because she was a complete coward, but she went ahead and did things anyways. The coward part is just when we feel disconnected from our hearts. But when we're really in touch, we know we don't have a choice. And it becomes easier. You know, when we do this practice, and I suspect everyone sitting here knows of the benefits deeply, we know there's no choice. Now what are we going to do? Start living mindlessly? Doesn't even hold you know, any compelling urge. I wanted to share... Uh, a poem it's from a book called Sharing Silence by Gunilla Norris. <clears throat> it's called Steadfastness. How do we sustain the courage and the will to continue our practice when the going gets tough? We know it will get rough and that we will encounter weariness, frustration, and doubt. Practicing mindfulness is much like physical training. The long-distance runner must deal with hills as well as valleys. The hills are hard, and they make one strong. If we can welcome them and know that they will be followed by valleys, we will be learning something about steadfastness. We may find the strength to continue by taking the long view recognizing that bliss and pain are part of each other, that both together are more than either is separately. Together they form reality, the only thing that truly satisfies us. Alternatively, we may look closely enough to see that perseverance is also a matter of valuing what is happening now, for its own sake, moment to moment. We continue by engaging fully in the rich, dense, prolific dance of life. Taking the long view and looking closely, background and foreground, by perseverance, through perseverance, we become steadfast and sturdy. We become present. Taking the long view, which in itself is timeless. So getting in touch with our motivation, what our aspiration is, Letting it be vast, 
limitless. Finding how we nurture and support this so that it's not an ideological concept that drives us crazy, that makes us feel less than, but helps us to inhabit, embody wholeness, goodness, truth, wisdom. It's helpful to keep calling it to mind, whether it's at the beginning of a day, the beginning of a sitting, whether it's in times when we struggle, feel lost and confused, it again gives us that reference point, can help us get back on track, it can help us bring up energy. Watching the play between aspiration and wisdom. This is another verse from Kunu Rinpoche. Bodhicitta transforms afflictive emotions, suffering and fear, and sickness and death into the path to enlightenment. Using what is here now as a means for waking up for the benefit of all beings. We give space for the courageousness of heart to come forth. The courageousness of heart that hears the cries of the world, that wants to respond, and we balance it with wisdom. I'd like to close with what to me is a very inspiring uh, prayer of aspiration. It comes from Shantideva, a great Indian teacher. It's called the Seven Branch Prayer. May I be a guard for those who are protectorless, a guide for those who journey on the road, for those who wish to go across the river, the water, may may I be a boat, a raft, a bridge. May I be an isle for those who yearn for landfall and a lamp for those who long for light, for those who need a resting place, a bed. For all who need a servant, may I be a slave, May I be the wishing jewel, the vase of plenty, a word of power 
and the supreme remedy. May I be the tree of miracles and for every being the abundant cow. Like the great earth and the other elements, enduring as the sky itself endures for the boundless multitude of living beings, may I be the ground and vessel of their life. Thus, for every single thing that lives in numbers like the boundless reaches of the sky, may I be their sustenance and nourishment until they pass beyond the bounds of suffering. Let's just sit for a moment. May our practice be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.